if we really want to change how how the world sees the abortion issue, it has to start with young people. We have to think long term. And there is such a great opportunity with changing the hearts and minds of Generation Z because Generation Z is so passionate about justice. Welcome to Dear Jane. How do we make sure the pro-life movement thrives into the next generation? That's what we're going to talk about today with Marcy Little and Jess Ford. Marcy and Jess are the co-hosts of the upcoming podcast, Zoe, which is aimed at Generation Z. Marcy, Jess, welcome. Thanks for joining me here on Dear Jane. So we're talking about Gen Z, and uh, you're going to help this old Gen Xer understand who we're talking about. So we're talking about people at what, in, our early, in the early 20s, uh, teens. Uh, so that's the age group that we're talking about. So help me understand what makes Gen Z tick. Who are these folks? What makes them unique uh, characteristics? Marcy, we'll start with you. Help us understand who Gen Z is. Sure. Yeah. Gen Z is the up and coming generation. Millennials are not in college anymore. That's just a news flash for everybody. So we're not the young whippersnapper generation that you want. You want Gen Z, um, but you nailed it. They're in their teens, uh, early to mid twenties. They're, they're distinctive from millennials in a few different ways. So one of the ways we talk a lot about is just technology. They're you know, millennials, which is the generation I'm a part of, grew up with technology, but it kind of was progressing and growing along with us. So we remember a time before cell phones, before um, high-speed internet, we remember dial-up, and those are kind of retro things for Gen Z. They didn't necessarily experience that, and so they view technology as kind of an extension of who they are. It's something that's always been around. They don't really remember a time before it. And they're very influenced by what they see and hear on social media and other um, digital platforms in ways that are, are a little different from other generations that remember a time before social media. So Jess, it seems to me to this, this old Gen Xer here, these young whippersnappers, it seems that maybe it's not so much who is influencing them, but how they're being influenced. Marcy talked about technology, that sort of thing. Uh, it's almost about the the delivery method. Is that, am I even in the ballpark here? Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think Marcy definitely encapsulated what um, the primary drivers of, you know, who Gen Z is and who Gen Z is becoming uh, like she like she was saying, you know, the the, the rise of social media uh, has sort of risen in congruence with uh, the the upbringing of Generation Z. You know, we were raised by our our devices. Um, I am a I say we because I am a member of Generation Z. I'm 23 now, so I'm kind of on the uh, the older end, and I've sort of got to see um, younger millennials and even you know younger people in my generation, how just the major distinction between the two generation exists. Uh, you, you have old, or younger millennials who maybe grew up in a time where they sort of saw the emergence of Facebook, of even MySpace, and they remember a time before those things existed. Um, and uh, the, the, the way that they absorb information, the way that their beliefs are molded 
is a lot different than let's say, you know, generation Z teenagers today. Um, those that maybe are, are the largest demographic of, of those who may be abortion minded right now, the way that they think, um, the way that they operate is, is different than millennials. So we need to communicate to them in a different way. So before we dig into the weeds too much on, on the abortion issues specifically, uh, what are Jess, what are their values? What do they care about? Uh, what makes them passionate? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So um, Generation Z grew up uh, during a time where um, lots of things happened. You know, uh, most of them, maybe like for myself, I was I was three uh, whenever 9-11 happened. Um, I, I did. I went through the 2008 crisis, uh, housing crisis. Whenever I you know saw my parents, they were, uh, you know, going through some financial hard times. And there's a lot of things like that that sort of mold our generation to be who we are. That I would say that the 2008 crisis was a big one. Uh, Gen Z were actually uh, extremely frugal and, and financially conscious of every decision that we make, more so than other generations statistically, which is interesting. Um, and then there's there's other things that you know we deeply care about that um, really you know distinguish us between other generations the the largest thing though would probably be our desire for justice to uh to be present in the world um you know injustice unfairness things that happen that shouldn't happen those are the things that really um you know fire us up that light a fire under us that make us question certain systems uh, that are currently in place um and generations like gen z we have diversity of ideas within our generation. However, there, there is sort of an underlying agreement that there are changes in this world that we want to see uh, take place. And, you know, we, we have these discussions of how these changes will take place, but we want to see change. And so um, justice is something that really, you know, we can be unified under. Um, however, you know, there are a variety of, of, strategies and methodologies in which that justice can actually take place. All right, Jess, diversity of ideas. I'm going to challenge you on that in a minute, but before we get there, Marcy, let's talk a little bit more about the, um, the technology, that sort of thing. So I have a Gen Z kid in my house. It's not a kid anymore. I, I better, I better edit that out before we put this on there. He'll, he'll be upset with me. Um, I remember a few years back, I said, well, man, you know, he was like 15 at the time. I said, Hey man, you want to, you want a Facebook account? And he looked at me like I, you know, I suggested he go take a, a mud bath or some kind of strange thing. Like I, you know, he Facebook account, like, why would I want that? You know, it's made, he just looked at me like I was odd. Um, so there's some you know platforms that are cool, not cool. Uh, that's, I can't keep up with that sort of thing. So some of the platforms that some of us old people may have thought was pretty cool and hip just a few years ago are already out. So these things are constantly changing, no? Yeah, Jess mentioned MySpace. And even <laughs> for me, like in, as a millennial, that's such a throwback. And that's something that I remember as, you know, all these tech companies were kind of battling it out. Like we had a variety of platforms that we used and then Facebook kind of emerged as the leader. Um, so today you 
as you mentioned, Facebook isn't necessarily the cool platform that Gen Z likes to hang out on. But what's interesting about Gen Z that's even different from millennials and other generations, they do consume information and entertainment through social media, but more so than other generations, they also create content on these platforms. So I think that's an interesting distinction to keep in mind when you think about how Gen Z uses social media and different platforms is even if they're not creating content on Facebook the way millennials might or Gen X or boomers, they're still there. They just use it differently. So it doesn't mean that everybody in Gen Z is going to have a, a Facebook account, but a lot of um, Gen Z use Facebook for things like social proof. So they're going to go, they're looking for a restaurant to go eat at or um, a service provider. They're going to go to Facebook to check them out to see if they are there, if they're posting, if it looks like they're alive and thriving. Um, so they use it in a different way than, than other generations would. Then you look at, at platforms like Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. They're much more active there as content creators in ways that may seem foreign or odd to other generations because we didn't grow up with ready-made platforms for us to share our ideas on in the way that Gen Z has. So there, it's just a given and an assumption that these platforms exist. I'm going to share my thoughts and opinions. This is a built-in ready-made platform just for me in ways that even as a millennial feel a little bit foreign to me, even though I grew up with it. So that's a distinction too, when you're looking at the different platforms is, you know, the reality is most people today have Facebook accounts, but we use them in different ways. And then you, if you want to look at accounts and platforms where Gen Z is active, um, you want to look at content creation and, and what kind of content they're producing on those platforms. I'm going to take a break and, and dig in really in, into the abortion issue and how we connect with Gen Z uh, on, on pro-life and that sort of thing. But before we do, Jess, I want to ask you, what do the rest of us get wrong about Gen Z? Wow, that's that's a great question. I think whenever I listen closely to headlines and um, talking points in the media about young people, I, I sort of hear this underlying message that um, Generation Z is a generation that is loud and um, they cause problems. They want to protest everything, even even the smallest thing. Um, and I think I think that you know there's a lot of validity there. Uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things to be said about that. I, I I would say though that I don't I don't think that particularly those outside of Generation Z have done a good job at looking at why Generation Z is the way that they are. I see a lot of complaining about young people, um, but I, I, I don't necessarily see a lot of um, intent on getting to know young people and, and even even better pouring into our generation. And so um, I think there's a general misunderstanding of intent. I think there's a general misunderstanding of, of um, wiring and I think there's a massive gap between Generation Z and maybe not necessarily millennials, but certainly Generation Z and Gen X and certainly Generation Z and boomers 
I, I think that um, when that bridge, uh, when that gap bridges, and I, and I think it will, um, I, I think that there will be a lot less intergenerational conflict or maybe intergenerational bitterness that there is now that I hear on, on um, headlines. And so uh, I think there's just a general misunderstanding uh, uh, about really everything. But um, when that, like I said, when that, you know, intent happens from older generations, it really needs to happen from older generations to Gen Z, in my opinion. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of that will go away. Visiting with Jess Ford and Marcy Little, the uh, hosts and producers of the Zoe podcast coming soon. And we'll take a break. Come back. We're going to talk about how we make the connection with Gen Z in the pro-life debate in the pro-life movement. We'll do that when we come back. Choose Life Adoptions is a full-service marketing agency with a mission to help adoption agencies reach expecting mothers and single parents ready to place their babies into the hearts and homes of loving families. Through a variety of marketing services, they craft individualized strategies to meet and exceed adoption agency goals. Whether your agency needs to create a new website, appear at the top of Google search results, or establish a social media presence, Choose Life Adoptions can deliver results. Learn more about their services by visiting ChooseLifeAdoptions.com and begin elevating your marketing to increase successful adoption outcomes. And we're back here on Dear Jane. We're visiting with Marcy Little and Jess Ford, the uh, hosts of the Zoe podcast coming soon. That's going to be a podcast that is aimed at Gen Z. And we are uh, talking about ways. First, we're trying to understand Gen Z, who they are and what makes them tick, what they're passionate about. And then uh, really, most importantly, uh, trying to understand the ways to connect with them in the pro-life movement. And that's what we really want to dig into now. So, Jess, you were talking earlier, and one of the things that uh, I, I heard you get passionate about was Gen Z cares about justice, and that's really one of the hallmarks of the Gen Z movement. How does that maybe connect, or how we can we make that connection to their love of justice in the pro-life movement? Absolutely. Yeah, wh what this question is, and what I'm about to say, I believe is, is the greatest area of opportunity for the pro-life movement today. If we really want to change, um, if we really want to change how how the world sees the abortion issue, it has to start with young people. We have to think long term, and there is such a great opportunity with changing the hearts and minds of Generation Z because Generation Z is so passionate about justice. So, uh, us three having this conversation right now, you know, we we all have. Uh, this this tie, this connection to the pro-life movement in different ways. And we all see uh, the abortion issue in a similar light. And as we know, the large majority of Generation Z is pro-choice. Um, they, they find abortion to be morally acceptable in nearly every circumstance. And so and knowing that, um, you know, we have we, we, we feel like there is this opposition of Generation Z in in this conversation. I I, I see that as a member of, Z, of Generation Z, I feel that. I am usually the odd man out uh, among my friends uh, and, and people just don't necessarily think the, the same way that I think, but I, I truly believe, like I said, this is an area of opportunity 
if we were to take abortion for what it is and, and maybe stop communicating it so much as, as um, you know, the topic, talking points that we had in the past and begin to transition and look at abortion as an injustice, you know, how it's an injustice to women, how obviously we believe it's an injustice to the unborn child, but abortion, there's, there's so many things with it being uh, the industry that it is, which I would love for Marcy to touch on in a moment. Uh, with with it being uh, something that is is used as a um, sort of this empowering this this tool for women to have a leg up in society, it's it's a lie, and so these lies that have been told for for decades um, and ha- has resulted in just millions of acts of injustice. If we, we, if we begin to really talk about abortion as an injustice and explore that topic, I think Generation Z may, may, may grab onto that. And if so, I mean, watch out world, because um, this, this topic really will, uh, the, 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 the messaging will change. Yeah, you know, the whole abortion question has always been based on a lie. And so for those of us who uh, were born after 1973, so millennials, Gen Z, especially, we've been we've we were born into this culture that has perpetuated a lie. That first of all, the, the question doesn't even touch who is the unborn and do they have personhood and do they have value. But the lie really is that abortion is empowering to women. You know, the early feminists understood this, and even some of the the people that the pro-abortion side holds up as heroes now originally were not in favor of abortion because they saw it as degrading to women. So I think we have to get back to some of that language. We have to expose what, what the abortion industry as an industry has perpetuated, this lie they've perpetuated. And I like to think about it as an industry because we all know that industries have agenda. They have large sums of money behind them. And the messages that they put out may or may not be true. So an example that I like to look at is the tobacco industry. Back in the day, they had doctors, they had, you know, anybody they could get to show up in these commercials touting the the health benefits of tobacco and talking about how great it was for you. And they convinced an entire generation that smoking cigarettes was cool that it was good for their health, that it was, you know, somehow going to enhance their life. And now that generation, which my grandfather was a part of, struggle with lung disease and lung cancer and all all of the fallout from that. And at some point in the middle of that, we got, we broke through. The truth was able to break through and we were able to say, wait a second, this isn't true. Let's look at this industry that's pushing cigarettes and nicotine and telling us one thing, but actually the opposite is true. So I think there's an, uh, a similar opportunity for us here to break through and say, wait a second, can we ask the question, is abortion really empowering for women? There's an entire abortion industry that profits from the sale of abortion because abortion is not a service. It's a, it's a product. It's something that is sold to women, even women who aren't considering abortions. They just have questions about their pregnancy or they have issues with their pregnancy. Abortion is pushed on them. So how can we break through that 
and, and really educate and inform. I think if we can educate and inform Gen Z that they, we exist in this lie, um, that that's where we can ignite not only their sense of justice and wanting what's best for women and wanting what's best for individuals, but also tap into their, their value of authenticity, of wanting to know the truth, of wanting to live in a way that's truthful. And I think if we can ignite both of those things, we can start to see massive change from within Generation Z that can help fuel our movement to 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 break away from abortion as this empowering message. And I think you can make the argument, Marcy, and I don't think it's hard to make the argument that perhaps there is no more important audience for us to talk with right now than yeah. Gen Z women. Yes, this is where the decision that's what you know, we talk about reaching her. That's where she is. Right. I mean, that's where the decision is being made by and large right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not exclusively, of course, but by and large, the Gen Z women uh, is who we need to be reaching. Um, so this might be really the most important conversation that we can have is 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 trying to reach uh, the, these women. So Jess, let's let's. I told you I was going to uh, uh, challenge you. You mentioned earlier diversity of ideas, and this this will show my uh, my get off my lawn mentality of of Generation X. But uh, and I'm not going to claim that Gen Z created cancel culture, um, but I'm going to say that Gen Z owns it. How about that? And and you can mm-hmm. you can challenge me on that. And here's here's how in my old mind I I define cancel culture. Cancel culture to me says um, not only can I not handle an opposing view, uh, you ought not be able to hold that opposing view. I I, I mean I, you you shouldn't be able to hold it. And so in in a debate, and let's just say you know the pro life debate, um, I can't handle an opposing point of view. So we can't even talk about it. All right. So when you talk about diversity of ideas, you can't have a diversity of ideas. I mean, it's basically you have to think this way. Okay, so how do we even have the conversation uh, on college campuses or in the public square? I mean, that's an old term, but wherever with Gen Z, I mean, how do we even have the talk and cancel culture? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I also want to address some validity in 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 your question. I don't, I don't think Scott, I don't think you're a get off my lawn type of guy, but I, um, a lot of times, you know, we hear about, uh, the silent majority, how a lot of these, um, conversations about cancel culture, a lot of cancellations happen from the, the loud minority, but there still exists this silent majority. I don't necessarily think that that exists um, to the to the scale to the degree that it exists um, across all gener- generations in America. However, I think the same concept is true in that there are so many people who, um, frankly, typically are pro-abortion that have these loud voices that um, maybe are more prone to um, combat the pro-life position who use their platforms regularly 
and talk about, uh, you know, promoting abortion. And so in that, you know, we hear time and time again, these young people with these ideas that are, that we would view as anti-life. I think that there are so many young people, myself included, who are frankly scared to talk about this issue online, even in our, in our classrooms, um, because we're afraid of the repercussions. You know, we understand that most universities, they are filled with professors who are liberal. They, they do not align with the pro-life position on average. And so if, if I were to be sitting in a university setting in classroom and we're talking in our philosophy class or our sociology class, we're talking about the, 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 the topic of abortion, I would be a little bit apprehensive to just talk about this issue because I'm afraid of what my professor uh, would, would think about me. I, I, would, I would be afraid it would impact my grade. And so um, on campuses, online, and um, in face-to-face, it's just, it's just hard to be a pro-life person, especially a pro-life young person right now. And so um, I, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's no hope for the pro-life message. I think the opposite what I do think, though, is, is there is a great need for inter- intergenerational unity right now and in that we need those that have gone before us, that uh, we need, we, we need the, the, the pro-life leaders who are um, not necessarily those that have platforms, but just those pro-life leaders in our communities and our churches to really, really touch base with young people and start real, genuine relationships with them. Gen Z is hungry for authenticity, and we want to know the real uh, struggles that older people are going through. We want to build a relationship with them in a, in a way that we can share our struggles with them. Uh, and we, we need your wisdom. And so um, in this space where we feel like our ideas can't be heard, we want to be able to bounce off our pro-life ideas from a young person's perspective with someone. And it feels like the only people we are able to do that with are older people in uh, who, who share our pro-life values. But unfortunately, it feels like that uh, there's such a divide because maybe headlines on conservative media networks would label Gen Z as this loud, rambunctious group of people who are unapproachable and um, maybe are disrespectful to boomers. That's true sometimes, but I don't think it's as true as we would like it, like as true as it seems to be. You know what, though? I've seen some data that suggests there's some promise in Gen Z when it comes to pro-life, especially among the men. Um, you know, there, there, there is some hope. Uh, now, women, we have a lot of challenges. I mean, we referenced this earlier in terms of uh, the women in Gen Z are very, very much pro-choice. But uh, there is some promise and we've got some we've got some hope there. Uh, so the Zoe podcast, very, very excited about that. Uh, and that will be coming up here in the not too distant future. But I want to ask both of you before we get out of here, as you consider, and we, we just touched on this just now, how difficult it is if you're a pro-life Gen Z-er, I guess a Gen Z-er, um, what, what advice would you have for somebody who might be listening? You know, maybe they're on a college campus or maybe they're at the job or they're a barista or whatever. I'm using all kinds of bad stereotypes here, but. 
I mean, what advice would you have for them if, if, you know, if they're in conversation or maybe they're on a date or something like that and, you know, they're, they're pro-life and it comes up or they want to share it or something like that. I mean, what tools or uh, anything like that, just help or advice or anything would you, you have for them? Marcy, we'll start with you. Sure. I think the thing that helped me the most as I was getting started in my pro-life journey was just equipping myself. So a lot of people, um, especially if they were raised in a, in a pro-life family, it's their position is more intuitive. They know life begins at conception. So they hold that, but they haven't taken the time to dive into pro-life apologetics. So that's one thing I'm excited about for the Zoe podcast is to help with that equipping. But that would be my advice is to just uh, take the time to educate yourself, learn about some of the arguments, um, take time to to really look at the talking points and slogans of the pro-choice side and sit with them and kind of dissect them. One, one tip I'll give you is most of those are exactly that. They're slogans and they're talking points. They are not developed arguments. So it's not very hard to identify um, fallacious thinking in, in those. So just taking that time to sit with, why am I pro-life? What are the resources out there? Um, we have a lot of resources. Life Training Institute has a lot of great resources just for equipping on that side. That will make you more confident to share your opinions. I remember one time I was on a flight with this guy and I he was a little bit inebriated. So I don't recall exactly how we got into the conversation, but we started talking about abortion. And I remember I had just been reading about and wrestling with the rape exception. And, and so had done some research, understood more about that and was able to bring that into a conversation. Whereas a month or so before I would have been really held up and stumped by, by his question. So even if you have held these beliefs your entire life, it's worth taking the time to carefully examine each one and kind of bolster those for yourself so that when you're in conversations, you feel a lot more confident that you know what you're talking about. Um, that's been helpful for me. Jess, you're the Gen Zer among us. You get the last word. I would echo everything Marcy just said. Um, and I would also add that although knowing knowing the right things to say is, is vital, perhaps even more important is your delivery. Um, as you're talking about this issue, it's emotional and it will always be emotional for everyone talking about this issue. So your, your greatest asset is your tone. If you go about this, speaking the truth in love and, and, and truly loving the person that you're communicating with, um, you're going to reach some sort of common ground. And, um, you know, our, our goal, we're, we're, we're open about our goal whenever we have these conversations. Our goal is to change hearts and minds. We want people to take the pro-life stance. And so with that goal, uh, we, we must do our best to meet those who are communicating with where they are, to hear them, to, to really try to understand them and to uh, give the most loving, truthful response we can to each question. Um, and so and if we do that, especially with young people, uh, we, we'll get somewhere. Marcy Little, Jess Ford, Zoe, the podcast on its way to a platform near you. Thank you very much for joining us here on Dear Jane. 
Soul Global is a nonprofit ministry on a mission to support and protect the value and dignity of human life through providing training, education, counseling, community awareness, support, and access to programs that save lives. Through their Soul Care program, they provide a complimentary online platform that enables a church or nonprofit organization to have an initial voice in the cause for life. Their program also includes training to equip staff, church leaders, or volunteers with counseling and life-affirming education skills. If you would like to help reduce the 56 million abortions happening around the world every year, please visit soulglobal.org. That's S-O-H-L global.org. In this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Holly Snell with Hope Women's Center in McKinney, Texas. Holly has been in the pro-life movement for six years, and she's seen plenty of changes in that time, including in the hearts and attitudes of the women Hope serves. The change that we've seen in our patients is just that over the years, and especially in the last year and a half, um, we have we have seen more girls who are abortion-determined or minded becoming more angry, um, hostile, belligerent frustrated, scared. Holly says there are many reasons for the range of emotions these women experience. I think there's a lot of um, lies and rumors out there as um, they may be hearing from friends or media that places like ours are going to report them if they are considering abortion. That's just simply not the case. And so we have to quickly put them at ease, letting them know that we're not here to report you. We are just here to support you and give you um, some some different options to consider. And we we do praise the Lord because we are seeing 83% of our patients are choosing life um, who walk through our doors, which is our highest number percentage of life-minded now walking out of our doors that we've ever seen in my six years. Holly says the key to success is adaptation and offering new services. For Hope, that includes major steps in the next few months. We do plan on adding um, prenatal services uh, to those who choose life because we are finding that there are very few OB doctors who take Medicaid patients in our area. So we have nowhere to send them. And that's a real problem. And the other thing that we're getting ready to add is post-abortion assessments. Holly says these assessments make a lot of sense in the age of abortion tourism and the abortion pill. We've got girls traveling out of state to get surgical abortions. We've got girls who are ordering abortion pills online who have never seen a doctor. And those who are traveling out of state, they're not going to go back for a follow-up appointment in three to four weeks with that doctor. So how can we serve even those who don't choose what we would like them to choose? And let's let's provide post-abortion assessments, making sure that she's okay, that she doesn't have infection in her body. Let's make sure um, that that um, we can come alongside her, support her emotionally, spiritually. What an incredible opportunity. When it comes to communicating with the abortion vulnerable woman, Holly stresses the importance of reaching her where she is through digital platforms. Uh, we know that really the best way we can reach them is through their phones. And so we we see an uptick often um, in hits on our website late in the evening, in the wee hours of the night, as I think we've heard from some of our patients where they're that's when kind of like the reality of life starts to hit. They're they're laying there in bed and they're thinking, am I pregnant or do I have an STD or STI? And they're scared and they don't know what to do. And so 
we know for us, the best way is to reach her digitally, but that is becoming more challenging, it seems like, by the day. Despite these challenges, Holly says the work being done by pregnancy centers continues to be effective. Those who are vulnerable towards abortion, they're more likely to choose life after um, receiving education and support, hearing about all the different resources that um, we can provide to come alongside them. My thanks once again to Marcy Little and Jess Ford for joining us on this episode of Dear Jane. Really looking forward to their upcoming Zoe podcast. I can hear in their voices that they want and need help from us older folks in the pro-life movement, but they don't want to be told what to do. They just need support. We have to help them, but we've got to do it on their terms, not ours. They know how to reach their peers. I think those of us who are pro-life millennials or Gen Xers or boomers should simply ask them, how can we help? What do you need? Remember when you were their age, it wasn't that long ago. The best thing we can do is come alongside them and let them know they're not alone because I'm certain it's difficult to be a pro-life Gen Zer these days. So let's help them, but let's start by letting them take the lead and showing us how they need help. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at dearjane.org or choose lifecoalition.com.